0: Just to add my welcome to Mark's and and others who you've met, Um, my name's Chris, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you. Um, I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, I looked at other people, other Christians, and thought, those guys have got it all sorted out. Everyone else is doing this okay, I'm the one with the issues. Does anyone else in the room relate to anything kind of close to that? Richard Thomas, I knew he would. Um, and I'm sorry, I was going to use you as the example of the kind of perfect Christian, and I didn't do it. That was really terrible of me, wasn't it? Maybe, I don't know. Do you know, the thing is, is that we can sometimes look at others and think, these guys are sorted, and it's just me with the insecurities. It's just me with the issues. It's just me that makes mistakes. It's just me that gets it wrong. I want to let you into a secret. Everyone has insecurities. Everyone struggles. Everyone gets it wrong. All of you do. And so do I. You know, we do. We're all, in that sense, broken, fallen, flawed. There is good news coming. But the reality is, is that we serve a saviour who is anything but. That Jesus is supreme above everyone and everything else. No, that's the good news. So I want to start tonight by basically saying, we all come needing him. We all come with vulnerability. Um, I I was thinking um, over the last few days, what if I would tell a story of my own personal vulnerability? The problem I had was there were so many to choose from. It was picking, you know, where I would begin um, I, think, I think the reality is, is I could tell you all sorts of things. Times when I stand up to speak and have known the confidence just flood out of my feet and just thought, why am I here? You ever thought that at work? Why am I here? What possible good can I do? Isn't it great we have a God who chooses to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise? There are times when, when I've... Um, Gone to do, I remember telling, actually I was telling Richard this story this week. I used to be a youth worker, and I remember going to do school assembly with a group of Year 9, about 300 Year 9 pupils sat in front of me in a hall, and and I did, I had a really good assembly prepared, and I was ready to go, but it did involve a little bit of audience participation. Here's how it worked, or didn't. Firstly, it's like, hands up, who's got a favourite superhero? No hands went up, at all. So I tried to kind of, you know, just sort of act on the, on, the, on the fly a little bit, just get a bit of participation. Nothing. It got worse. Even the young people in my youth group started kind of just hiding their head in their hands. Um, I got a quarter of the way through the assembly and the bell went. And so the kids just got up and left teachers left. No one came up to me and said, never mind, eh, Chris? Uh, maybe next time we'll be fine. I didn't get an email or anything saying, you tried well, obviously things didn't quite work out, but we'll see you again another time. It was a complete and utter disaster. I don't know what a disaster would look like for you in your workplace, what that would look like for you in your life. But that, at that point in time, wasn't that long a youth worker, felt pretty much like the pits. It couldn't get any worse. But you remember that we have a saviour. Who takes the smallest little things and the messes that we make and creates a masterpiece out of them, because that's the gospel. We're um, doing a little series at the minute, and and I've got the real privilege, I didn't realise that until recently, that I'm speaking all through this series. So last week we looked at Jesus is a servant. This week we're looking at Jesus is supreme over everything, because actually if we get to know Jesus better, then our own vulnerabilities, our own struggles, our own frailties, if you like, not don't just pale into insignificance, but, but that Jesus takes them as we are, takes us just as we are, and uses us, and he chooses to use us for his glory. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and you'll need a Bible in front of you if you've got one, because we're going to follow through that passage in a bit of detail. But before we get to the passage, um, actually, why don't we read it first, and then um, I'll just give a bit of background on, uh, on what it is. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. So Paul is speaking to this church, and he says this about Jesus. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Father, enlarge our vision of Jesus. Through your word, by your spirit, we pray. Amen. So the Colossian church, uh, it's in Turkey. Um, Amazing church. They were doing well. They were doing well. Paul says earlier in chapter one, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and hope and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Paul says you're doing well, guys. You're growing. There's fruit. You love one another. You serve God. In fact, your reputation is growing. They're doing well as a church. But just like any group of Christians, and the word church, and it's, it's probably not a helpful word for many of us. It, it means assembly. It means gathering, called out people. It's this little group if you like. It's not as formalised as we might have it now. But every group of Christians, every whether that's in a life group, a small group, in a big church setting or a small church setting, every group of Christians constantly needs reminding of the importance and the centrality of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done. I wonder why, because we so often lose sight of it so quickly even in the midst of, and maybe especially in the midst of when things are going well, we can so often settle for a Jesus that is less than the real Jesus. I'd love us just to watch a little clip from a film called Talladega Nights. Have you ever seen it? Okay. Just watch this clip.
1: Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone-cold fox, Mm. who if you were to rate her ass on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also, want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Notton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always Mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear, tiny, infant Jesus, Hey, um, you know, sweetie? Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear, tiny Jesus, your golden... Fleece diapers with your tiny, little, fat, balled-up fist paw. It was a a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races, and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too, because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for leonard skinnard with like an angel band and i'm in the front row and i'm hammered drunk hey cal why don't you just shut up yes ma'am okay Dear, eight pound six ounce newborn infant jesus don't even know a word yet just little infant so cuddly Mm. but still omnipotent Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and a $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you. For all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Amen.
0: Okay. See, the thing is, the thing is, if we don't get to know the real Jesus, we make Jesus in our own image. And he does the things we want him to do. And he always likes us. And we never do anything wrong. But actually, who wants to give their life to that kind of a Jesus that's not the real Jesus. And Paul, in this letter, is trying to paint a picture of the awesomeness of who God is shown in Jesus. He's trying to paint a picture of if we limit who Jesus is, if we tame him, if we make him in our own image, that's as good as it gets. Jesus is so much more incredible and awesome than we can imagine. And our view of Jesus shapes everything about us. So our identity, our worship, our service, our life. It's so easy to make him into our own image and, and, and tame him and tie him up. He's like us in that he's fully human. Remember last week we talked about that Jesus is 100% human. He's the, the image of the invisible God, as Paul says here. He, he is totally human. There's no kind of half measures there. But we can't create our own version of him. If we read the Gospels, we find an incredible person, the person of Jesus. He's real, untamed, and wild. He's the Jesus who calms the storm, the Jesus who heals the sick, who raises the dead, who embraces the outcast and the outsider, who enrages religious rulers, and who embarrasses his own family. Jesus can't be put in a box. He can't be contained. He's unpredictable. I come back time and time again to this wonderful quote from the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe where Mrs. Beaver, or um, Lucy asks Mrs. Beaver, is Aslan safe? No, he's not safe, but he is good. Jesus is not safe and he's not tame, but he is good. I found this quote about Jesus. We, the church, the people of God, need to go back to the daring, radical, strange, wonderful, inexplicable, unstoppable, marvellous, unsettling, disturbing, caring, powerful son of God. The church, that's you and I, need to find itself in league with this Jesus, staring in amazement and saying as Peter did with a trembling voice, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him, even the wild demons obey him, even the Pharisees quake at the thought of what he might unleash if allowed. Friends, we are called to constantly get to know the real Jesus. Because it's that that changes everything. Theologians call this Christology, the study of Christ. And it's that that is worth giving our lives to, that we might know him better. Um, In this passage, the title is often the supremacy of Jesus. You hear the word supremacy, you kind of think, well, either the born supremacy, one of the greatest movies of all time, i think and clearly i'm here so i must be right um or we think of white supremacists not so cool we're not quite so keen on that at all but what does it mean to be supreme i like you know not being that bright went to a thesaurus online and it means this that Jesus is the foremost, the head, the highest. He's incomparable. He's matchless. He's paramount. He's peerless. He's perfect. He's preeminent. He's sovereign. He's superlative. He's surpassing. He's transcendent. He's the ultimate. He's unequaled, unmatched, unparalleled, unsurpassable, and unsurpassed. That is Jesus. There is no one like him. And that's what Paul is trying to make. point he's trying to make in this passage. So let's get into the passage, and let's take a few minutes to look at um, at what Paul says about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is central. Jesus is central. At the beginning of the passage, it says this, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. And then at the end of the verse 16, it says this, all things have been created through him, and for him. All things that word that phrase appears time and time again in this passage all things have been created through him and for him. In other words, there is no area of life in this world that is not subject to the lordship of Christ. No area of this world. It's not that there's the Christian bit and the non-Christian bit. There is the Jesus bit because he rules over everything. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He really rules over everything. And the point about the kingdom of God coming is that Jesus is making the world the way it should be and that his kingdom is breaking in to every area of life. So there's no area of your life or my life that that Jesus doesn't stake a claim for, that he doesn't want to be involved in. That's your work, that's your marriage, that's your children. Your friends, your relationships, your money. It's kind of challenging, isn't it? Like everything. Jesus wants to be Lord of everything. Central in everything. Listen to what Paul says in the letter to the Romans. So here's what I want you to do. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, God has a purpose for everything you do. God has a purpose for your work. God has a purpose for your parenting. God has a purpose for your school. God has a purpose for your life. It's amazing to hear Emily's story uh, about what God is doing uh, where she works. Wonderful, wonderful to hear. And I know story after story of people who say, you know, God's at work in my workplace. God's at work in my community where I am. And Jesus, when he worked on the Sabbath and healed people, that's when he really enraged the religious rulers. And when they challenged him, he said, well, my father's always at work. Basically, in brackets, so what do you want me to do? Stop working? My father's always at work. Whenever we walk through the office door in the morning, whenever we get on the tube, whenever we open our front door to leave our home or our flat, wherever it might be, we're walking into a world where God is already at work. And it's our job to find out where he's working and what he's doing and join in. Suddenly, everything becomes an adventure because God's already at work in the lives of all the people we see and meet. Because God loves the whole world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. So God's chasing after people, he's pursuing people to draw them to himself. So in your work, it finds its full and intended purpose. In Jesus Christ. In your essay writing. It finds its full and intended purpose in Jesus Christ. I want to take a risk just for two minutes. I want someone here to pick any job and just shout it out. No, it's too easy. Imagination. Anyone of the Mark Tate? Bus driver. Bus driver. Okay, so how... How can being a bus driver? It's quite a hard one. How can mean I'm joking? How can being a bus driver find its full and intended purpose in Jesus Christ? Well, here's the thing. Every person that gets on that bus is a person made in the image of God. What does Jesus say? Love your neighbour as yourself. When he's questioned, who's my neighbour? When he just tells you everyone, basically, you see. Anyone, there's no exclusions. So every person we meet is a bus driver who comes on the bus. We remember they're made in the image of God. Every drunk person that throws up in the back of your bus on the late night, night bus on the way back from the centre of town is made in the image of God. Every colleague you have is loved, dearly loved by God. And actually you're placed in there to be salt and light. There's joy to be found in every profession. I mean, I'm not a bus driver. I've never driven a bus. I've driven a minibus, not very well, so they wouldn't let me drive a real bus. But um, that's another, s- no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, we find our purpose and our intended purpose, our fullness, uh, in, in Christ's purpose in our, in our job. So that's a kind of example of what you do. The, the people encounters that we have, yeah, it matters. It matters. What a difference we can make by smiling at someone. Everyone remembers a bus driver who says hi to them when they get on the bus, of bus drivers, you don't remember so much because there's no interaction. We can be the 1%, can't we? We live life differently. We have a different perspective. Someone said to me recently, what about a a bin collector, a refuse collector? I'm like, that is really easy. God cares for our world so much that he wants to see rubbish and dirt and stuff picked up. Our environment matters. Our natural environment matters. In fact, I think being a refuse collector, doing that stuff, is one of the most God-ordained jobs you can do because you're caring for our planet. And there's huge dignity and huge purpose in that. But it's always the thing we kind of dismiss to the side, isn't it? There's no job to be dismissed. I just wanted to go there because I want us to think, what does it mean when if I'm working in social work or in finance or politics or the building trade or what about if I'm unemployed? How can I find the purpose of God in unemployment? Well, I think God's given us hands and skills. Every one of us is talented and gifted. And it's just a matter of discovering that. And if we're not paid for it for a little while, then maybe we just need to give our time and volunteer and find what God has for us and trust that he'll provide. Now, I don't offer that lightly. I know that unemployment is a real challenge for so many. But Jesus is in it with us. Because he, all things have been created through him and for him. The second thing is Jesus is sufficient. Verse 17 says this, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That Jesus is utterly sufficient for everything we need. It's almost as if, I I don't know who said this, but it's that Jesus is, uh, we don't realize that Jesus is all that we need until Jesus is all that we have. Maybe you've come to that place at times where you just now have nothing else to lean on, but Jesus is. Is there? He will never leave you or forsake you. Your life is eternally secure in His hand. He said, "No one, those whom the Father has given me, no one can snatch them out of my hand." What a wonderful promise! I wonder today where, in your life, you think think things really aren't holding together. It feels like stuff is falling apart. Jesus is in the midst of that with you. He will hold you together with Him to him one thing that really struck me as I was reflecting on this idea that Jesus is sufficient is when we share our faith with others, when people ask us questions about what we believe sometimes we feel like we have to have all the answers does anyone feel like that? I don't really want to let people know that I'm a Christian because if they ask me a question that's going to be the end of it I won't know what to say, I won't know what to do let me tell you about a woman who changed the town with these words come and see a man who told me everything I ever did that is terrible apologetics the cross is not mentioned there's no reason for evolution versus creation within that come and see a man who told me everything I ever did whole town came to see jesus we do need to give a reason for the hope that we have it's really important also we need a reason for the hope that we have don't we so we just tell the reason we've got we tell our story it's powerful changes lives and all of us have a story because you're all here tonight all of us have a story with god to tell come and see come and see oldest form of sharing our faith, the disciples, how did they get Peter to find Jesus? One of his mates said, come and see, come and see this guy. And they took him to Jesus. We can just say to someone this week, come and, come and see, come and see what it is that makes a difference in my life. Come and see the community of faith that I'm part of. Come and see, come and join us, come and be with us. It's about having a kind of invitational heart. And sometimes I think, well, I'm a bit embarrassed about bringing people to church that's fine but I quite like it I meet Jesus here and I want my friends to meet Jesus so I just want to invite them to come in come and meet Jesus come and see him come and experience him taste and see that the Lord is good and we do that in everyday life though we just do simple things um, I was on the phone to a letting agent recently and his name is Jack and there was a bit of there was a bit of tension on the phone, not between me and him, but he was speaking to someone else on my behalf. And um, he was relaying this conversation and he was stressed. It was six o'clock in the evening and he really wanted to get off the phone to me because then he could go home. Um, And he just happened to say that his girlfriend was going, had an exam the next day. So he was leaving work a little bit early. um, And that, that was kind of why he couldn't phone me back. And I said, oh, what's her name? And he told me her name. I said, Tell, tell your girlfriend I'll be praying for her tonight and tomorrow morning that she does really well on her exam there was sort of silence on the end of the phone he went okay thanks that's great bye and kind of hung up that's right he sent me an email he said Chris just, I, sent it to my, I sent it to Nell and he said uh, can you tell your husband that she did really well on her test he thought to reply Jesus met him I don't know any of us can do that can't they it's really easy um story after story i could tell you of just praying for people just because i'm not really that good at sharing my faith with my friends i find it really difficult i get into discussions with people because everyone's cleverer than me so they all ask really hard questions so i run away but i can pray for people and i really like praying for people so i just do that all the time so yesterday there were a bunch of us out at christ the savior just praying for people I prayed for about there were about a dozen people we prayed for in a couple of hours, some of whom had faith, most of whom didn't. We're just saying, come and see, come and see a guy who can change your life. Come and meet Jesus, and anyone can do that. It's really simple, and that's how it should be. We don't have to have all the answers. We just have to be present and tell our story, because our story is powerful. And coming into land with this, Jesus is supreme. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have the supremacy. And God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and for through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, Jesus is all there is. He is far above. Friends, if nothing else tonight, ask God for a bigger vision of Jesus. Ask God for a bigger picture of who he is, for a fresh engaging understanding of who Jesus is. We get it from the Gospels. We can't avoid the Gospels if we want to get to know Jesus. I encourage you to read them, study them, allow Jesus to shock you, to frighten you, to comfort you, to surprise you. Because it's in knowing Jesus that everything else makes sense. Paul said this when preaching to a hostile crowd in Athens, in him we live, move and have our being. In him We live, move, and have our being. Keep Jesus at the center. Remember, he is utterly sufficient. He's all that you need. You don't need anything else for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your hope, for your future. You just need Jesus because he is high above. He is far above. He's the one to follow. He's the one worth following and giving all things. Why? Because through his life, death, and resurrection, God is making all things new. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine this. Imagine this evening. Your faith comes alive as you see again who Jesus really is, as you experience his power and his presence. I want you to imagine that your confidence and courage that comes from that is renewed do you find forgiveness and freedom? Do you know you've got a new purpose for your future in him? Your job matters. Imagine God taking your greatest weakness, your most difficult experiences and your hardest moments and using them to bring people to Jesus because that's what he does. I want you to imagine Jesus showing up in your workplace. In fact, he's already there. I want you to imagine what it might be like for your colleagues, your boss, for your enemies. See their lives transformed just as you pray and invite the kingdom of God to come in your workplace or your community or your family. I want you to imagine your friends and family that you long to become Christians, become followers of Jesus, doing just that because you simply told them what God was doing in your life and just said come and see come and see Jesus is supreme Jesus is the king of kings and he's here he's unsurpassed but he's here he's all powerful and he's here he's the lord of all things and he's here let's stand we're going to meet with him and allow him to change us by his spirit Let's just close our eyes and pray.